You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. You can ask a question there via the listener inquiry button as well as listen to old archives. Shows. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all in your little square. Yeah. Morning, Scott. Good to morning, Scott. You both all. Yeah. So, speaking of watching little squares, did any of you happen to watch Elon Musk on Saturday Night Live over the weekend? Yes, I did. Last yes, weekend, I, I taped that. I never stay up, um, even during COVID. But anyway, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, we uh, taped that, and it's, you know, it was interesting to see Elon Musk. Uh, first of all, one of the wealthier people in the world hosting the show, and uh, yeah, um, you know, here's a guy that literally is changing the world. Yeah. Interesting enough, he, his, his uh, stock, is, it did well last, and during its last quarter, but it wasn't based on car sales. It was based on his cryptocurrency investment mm. that did extremely well. And so that made, originally the stock went up on the basis of look at the profits the company's making, but then they turned and looked at it a little closer and said, wait a sec, this isn't cars. Yeah. This is a lot of cryptocurrency profit. And so uh, he's, um, he was big into something called a Dogecoin, uh, one of many cryptocurrencies, which I'm going to talk about in a second. And so he mentioned it, and it was just a great back and forth of, of you know, what exactly is a cryptocurrency. And they, they, they were interviewing him on this. And he kept answering, but they kept saying, okay, what exactly is Dogecoin? And he'd come back with another answer. And what exactly is it? So, like, nobody actually understood it. And finally, he says, okay, so you exchange this and you can be converted to real money. And somebody says, so it's a hustle. <laughs> and, and Elon Musk says, yeah, that's what it is. And he kind of laughs. Well, doesn't the Dogecoin drop 34% the next day? based on that comment. Mm. Just to give you an idea how volatile a cryptocurrency can be, um, and that Dogecoin, I think, is, is like the fifth largest ranked cryptocurrency. And let's start, Don, with ex- try to explain to, to, to the layperson here, what is cryptocurrency? What is it all about? Well, it's a really good question. I'm going to kind of go through, I am no expert on this, but I'm going to kind of go through a little bit of information on this and we'll see if we can decipher it um certainly you've heard about the crypto millionaires and had you um, bought into bitcoin which is the most popular cryptocurrency and let's say you put six hundred dollars in back in december 2015 so you know five and a half years ago it would be worth sixty eight thousand dollars today you know the insane investment so it is but in the meantime it has it's gone up to like 24,000 in the mean in that area back down to 5,000 then up to 70,000 now back to 68,000 it's got tons of volatility and so it it's something that you know you you may want to speculate on but it it's certainly if you don't have that kind of idea of uh, you know feeling of gambling and 
and if you're in a conservative investor, you definitely want to stay away from this because it, it does have lots of volatility. And, and, and Elon Musk says that. He said, like, you, you don't put your life savings into this. This is something, this is play money. He has alluded to that. Um, it, it sounds oddly enough like a, and, and I, I hope I'm not using the right, the right word or wrong word here. Uh, and again, I, I, you know, I'm just coming at it from a layperson's side. It sounds like a pyramid, a pyramid scam. Well, I wouldn't quite go that far. It actually is interesting because, like gold, they like actually compare it to gold. And what is gold? It's a shiny metal that we decide it's worth so many dollars an ounce. It really doesn't have a lot of purpose. It does make some jewelry, but you don't you know, do a whole lot else with it's it. It's more a currency. It, it, so they look at it more of a currency. And it's been a currency for forever. It's, you know, right after seashells and other things that they were using in glass beads and other things, gold became a pretty common currency. And in fact, for quite some time, our own dollar was based on the gold standard. So you had to have a backing of X amount of bars of gold sitting in a vault to decide how much your own currency was worth. Well, that stopped ages ago. So interesting, Bitcoin works very similar, that there's with most currencies, there has to be some kind of scarcity to it. It has to be durable, easy, relatively easy to divide. And so that's what gold is. You can, it's scarce. We don't know how much there is, but it's, you know, you dig it up. Um, people still go out and pan for gold and literally you can earn a few dollars doing that every year, but it becomes more of a hobby because it's a little harder to do these days. But and it's, you can melt it down, divide it up into little bars and really small bars, and it, it sells by whatever. You can have a gram of gold, and you can have ounces of gold and, and pounds of gold. So it's, it can be used, but nobody's actually carrying gold in their pocket and saying, okay, I'd like to buy a McDonald's burger or something, or I'd like to buy that Tesla. It's, they don't use that. This is where Bitcoin's a little different. There's 21 million Bitcoins that could be available, and this is what they look at mining. There's only so many of this digital wallet, if you want, or, or log. And right now, 18.5 million of these have been already mined. So there's 2.5 million to go. So then you know there's a certain amount, but it can be broken down. So you can have a, like 0.11 of a Bitcoin and use it. And there's a lot of stores are starting to use Bitcoin. Uh, so even PayPal is, is starting to use Bitcoin and Tesla, of course, uh, he's a great proponent, but the, uh, Microsoft has been for quite some time. And if you Google it, you'll see quite a large list, more in the U.S. than in Canada. But it's, it is still hard to wrap your head around because you can't physically grab it. You can't see it where gold you can. So this is where, you know, these are a digital currency. And so it's, you have to have a, a digital code. And this happens all over the Internet. So there's a ledger called the blockchain where transactions are executed and monitored for public to see. And this is quite interesting because it doesn't have to go through any bank. It literally goes peer to peer. So if you're buying a, a Tesla as an example, you would, it would go right from here to Tesla, from your ledger to Tesla, and, and then that would be it. You own it. There's no bank that has any say in this. And the blockchain is, is very interesting. It's public so that everybody can see it. Everything's always watched. But at the same time, it's very private because you have a, a code 
for your own case, and therefore nobody can really break into it. Now, the tricky part is somebody did die, and he had a whole lot of Bitcoin, but nobody had these keys. Nobody had the code. So they still haven't figured out how they can get to it because they don't have the code to unlock his Bitcoin. So really, how much is it worth? Well, no different than gold. Um, it really is worth what people believe it's worth. And so that's what makes it interesting. But the more it's being used, the more it's, it will, you know, the more valuable it will become. So as far as how it's mined, programmers will locate new Bitcoins and perform a series of complex mathematical equations to unlock new coins. And these miners are collectively, they're required to confirm ongoing Bitcoin transactions verifying the details. Now, when they do find one, they get paid in Bitcoin. So they get a little piece of the action. And this is how those miners could get rich. Well, you can imagine right now with two and a half million Bitcoins still available at 68,000 apiece, there's a lot of people still mining these Bitcoins, trying to find those last two and a half million. So, but the thing is, there is over 5,000 other cryptocurrencies around. And, you know, so it's not just Bitcoin. There's many others, Ethereum, um, Dogecoin. There's other mock-ups of other ones. Uh, Matic is another one I've heard. And you say, okay, well, maybe it will be the next Bitcoin. And it's very true. Maybe you can buy a, one for a penny. It could go to 1,000. But what, they don't, what you don't hear on the radio or, or any other media is how many of these currencies have gone under, no longer exist. And there's been a thousand, over a thousand so far that are worthless. So you do have to think about that too if you're looking at, okay, I'm going to get into the crypto area. Okay, there might be 5,000 or more that are available, but over a thousand are now you know, basically gone bankrupt. So there's been great potential for Bitcoin investors. And one thing they like about Bitcoin, and very similar to gold, it doesn't have a great correlation to the stock markets. So it is a bit of a diversifier. So often, I know Andy and I, we've talked about how our, particularly during the pandemic, some of our mutual funds, some of the managers would buy gold holdings. And that was a great thing during the downturn of the stock market, because when in March, April, and May, when the market was starting to go, Gold went up in value tremendously, even though the stock market was going down. And then now you're seeing gold has probably leveled off a lot, and the stock market has taken off. So there's a different kind of heartbeat line in gold. Well, the same thing happened with Bitcoin. Bitcoin uh, doesn't have the same type of ups and downs as, as the stock market. In fact, they don't correlate very well. So, so where is this going, Don? I mean, do you see more cryptocurrency starting? Do you see one advancing to the forefront of all of this? And really, what is it? Is it a currency, a, a, a way to barter for things, or is it an investment? It's really more of a currency. People are looking at them as, a, as both. And so right now, you can join CoinSquare. It's the largest in Canada. And you can buy whichever cryptocurrency you want. And if you were to say, okay, one's a German currency, one's a Canadian currency, one's a U.S. currency, it might make it easier to put a, a flag on each one so because they all, they all act differently. They don't, all, they don't go up and down at the same time. So when Elon Musk mentioned about Dogecoin, it went down 34%. Other ones went up. 
it, it didn't affect all the currencies. So they all work, they all work differently. And like I said, they're, they're quite widely accepted. But really, it comes down to how do you buy one of these and hold it? Well, like paper money, Bitcoin is held in a wallet, but it's now called it's a digital wallet. And so you're, you secure this by having these keys. And it's really a digital code, code to unlock your Bitcoin investment. These can be always converted into dollars. So these can be converted into Canadian dollars, U.S. dollars. And what happens to those Bitcoin or crypto millionaires you hear about? Like, how are they taxed? And this, this is a great question because I, I went through this and that's a whole, you know, that's a discussion. And it's okay, well, if people are making money in Bitcoin, is that not the same way as speculating on anything else? And after the break, I'm going to talk about that. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. And check out their website at andyanddon.com. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave your message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can ask a question via the listener inquiry button, as well as listen to old archive shows. All right, we're going to finish up with uh, cryptocurrency and then move on to the tale of two pandemics. So uh, crypto seems to be still really confusing to a lot of people. Is it something that only younger generations are grabbing onto? It seems... You certainly have to be a bit more computer savvy, and that generally goes to yours, younger people, no question. And it is, like I said, it's definitely more confusing because everything else we use in terms of currency, we got to touch and feel. And this is simply sending a computer code that represents, a, based on a logarithm, that represents a certain type of currency. And so, yeah. But is that any different? Is that any different? Making this matter any better trying to explain this either. It is <laughs> extremely confusing. But in a sense, that is sort of like online banking. You're just, you know, back and forth. You're not really touching anything. 100%. Yeah. And so if they name them, again, there's so many different names. There's Shiba, you know, that's named after a Japanese dog. There's another one just called Elon, obviously named after Elon Musk. And it. You know, this makes it sound like it's almost a video game. And again, some of these things have gone up like 10,000% in a matter of months. But they, they start at 0.00003 cents. And if they ever made it to a penny, you'd be a multimillionaire. But a lot, again, mo- uh, the mass, vast majority don't go anywhere. And, and, and again, uh, over 1,000 have just kind of fallen off the board. So this is uh, a lot of speculation. And but if you do make money on these things, and there is some crypto millionaires, and obviously anybody that you know happened to buy Bitcoin early uh, would would be a millionaire today. And so, how is that taxed? You know, a lot of people are thinking. Well, you, you may have heard some people in illegal activities are using crypto to avoid governments because this the money does not reside in any government. So you literally can buy something from here to Australia if you like, 
use Bitcoin, and it, it shows up on the blockchain ledger. But that's it. It's, it's immediate. It's, it's instantaneous. You don't have to wire money. It is right away. So it's extremely efficient that, from that standpoint. So as you said, Scott, it's going to start gaining more acceptance, particularly in overseas type of transactions. But the volatility is going to scare people. So if you were to say, okay, give me, let's say, one Bitcoin, it's worth 68000 I have it, and by the time I receive it uh, the next day, it's only worth 50000 Like, okay, well, that wasn't a great deal. I lost 17000 just by holding it a day. So it could be, it, uh, it's not it could be, it is extremely volatile. But it's interesting, there's a lot of people that are trying to make a living at this. And I'm thinking, okay, well, if you're gambling on, on currencies, it's likely a capital gain. Meaning you bought the say at, 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 you know you put in ten thousand it grew to twenty thousand well that means you had ten thousand dollar profit and because it's not a guarantee type of bit you know return and it's extremely volatile I'm just assuming that would be a capital gain so I dug into this a little deeper it turns out that if you're trading cryptocurrencies regularly it's considered business income not a capital gain. So in that case, if it went from 10000 to 20000 you would have to claim $10,000 on your tax return. Now, I guess the question is, again, how does the government find this? That's a great question. I am no expert in this, but again, any income earned as a resident of Canada has to be reported, regardless how it's earned. So a lot of it is on the honor system, and you, and you need to show that. And, you know, morally correct is to say, okay, I made $10,000. Now, let's say you bought a computer and you use crypto for it. And you took $5,000, you bought a beautiful computer, even had some leftover money, got a big screen uh, TV to boot. And by the time you're done, the crypto went from 5000 to 6000 Well, you end up with this extra $1,000 you made by converting it to cryptocurrency and then buying a, com- a computer and a TV. That's considered a capital gain because it's a one-off. You're not doing it as a regular thing. And so that, as a capital gain, only half of the gain is taxable and half is tax-free. So in that case, that, that $1,000, 500 would be taxable and 500 would be tax-free. So if you are a trader of, of cryptocurrencies and the government sees, okay, how is this person now living in this beautiful multi-million dollar home the one type of audit they can do is called a net worth audit. And this is one where they really can find a lot of information. And in the past, it was like, okay, you're doing something illegal because how does a, a barber or lack of a, you know, of, or, or a lower income, somebody making, say, under $50,000 a year is living in this million-dollar mansion? And if they say, oh, I inherited money, okay, show me the paper trail of that inheritance. Well, if there is no paper trail... Then they dig deeper and deeper. And this is where Revenue Canada can look through all this. And this is where a net worth audit, it's a lot of work, but they can dig this up and say, okay, show me where you made the money. And if you can't show us, they'll tax you on what they think you should have paid tax on, even without knowing where the money came from. Because it's up to you to prove that you made enough money to afford that home. And so if you're in cryptocurrencies and all of a sudden you got this lavish home all of a sudden, and you're 25 years old, and you're, and you're not even working, you don't have a job, they're going to quite question, okay, how is this happening? And most of the time, uh, you know, CRA 
is finding these kind of aberrations of wealth from tips, okay? Neighbors tipping off CRA, Canadian Review Agency, and saying, okay, we got this 25-year-old living in this multi-million dollar home next to us. I don't know how he's doing it. And so they get these tips on a regular basis. So it's quite interesting. This is where most of them, I, have a, I was speaking with a CRA um, employee, and they said they get tips all the time, um, and also from ex-spouses and all sorts of things. So you can't hide these things too long, and if you do, you're going to pay tax sometime. They do get you, and then the penalties will get you even more. So that's the, uh, the lowdown. As far as, uh, you know, one thing, I guess, versus gold versus uh, crypto, in the past, gold sometimes was taken from government. Governments would take the gold from people when there was a coup. And the nice thing about crypto, it's yours. There's no way. Nobody can ever get their hands on it because you have these keys, which is the code to unlock it, and you better give those keys to somebody who's trustworthy because if you ever lose those keys, there goes all the crypto. Oh, no, I can just, I can just see somebody torturing, torturing me for my code. <laughs> But I, you know, I think this is—it's uh, a fascinating subject, and uh, there's a lot of FOMO, fear of missing out, when it comes to this. And it's been—you uh, know—there's a lot of hype, uh, but it—you um, know—clearly, uh, there's a lot of people that have made uh, and, and increased their wealth because of this currency. Um, and I, I was reading a, an article written by uh, Dr. Jeremy Siegel, who's. Uh, a uh, professor emeritus at the Wharton School of Business, and he was asked about cryptocurrencies and particularly Bitcoins as well. And he said, well, at this point, you know, as far as a transactional uh, method, you know, his comment was that the banks have already nailed this. <laughs> you can move money so easily for so for pennies from one person to another today uh, Don, I think you made a good point about moving money overseas or perhaps large amounts. Sometimes you're restricted in the amounts that you can move. But, um, but the banks have already cornered this sort of, and there's competitors, you know, PayPal, et cetera, that are allowing people to move money around very easily and very cheaply. So that system is already in place. But it's, so it's going to be a function, and I think that it's going to, op- that system that we have today is going to open up internationally uh, much better as well. But um, acceptance is probably the big thing. You know, and you talked about that. Are people going to um, start using this more and more regularly? I don't know. It's just uh, without more clarity and with the confusion, it tends to be there's a big barrier there to uh, to sort of mass uh, acceptance. But Elon Musk helps, right? He's been a proponent of it. He's been talking about it, and he's allowed people to buy their cars, uh, a Tesla, using Bitcoin. So, uh, you know, he's adding legitimacy to it for sure, no doubt about it. And I'm pretty sure you got Apple and Microsoft allowing them to buy their computers. And it is actually interesting if you Google which companies will accept uh, cryptocurrencies as payment, their list is getting longer every day. So you just never know. Uh, Star Wars is uh, right, might be today. <laughs> hey, I'm just going to so let's switch topics here. And I wanted to talk about um, an article that was written by. What, I guess sort of the overseeing body that Don and I are part of, which is FP Canada, Financial Planning Standards Council, which is the, the body or the people that are in charge of advancing financial planning in, in, our, uh, in our country. And um, 
they, they, they put out articles for people to read periodically, studies that they've done. And this one, which was just done in March, so uh, a little over a month ago, was uh, titled uh, The Tale of Two Pandemics. And really just trying to understand where are Canadians today, uh, one year later, uh, and the tale of two pandemics, the title sort of came from the, 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 the reality that there's a lot of us. And, and I put myself in this category where I feel like, you know, this has been, I've been able to work from home. It hasn't impacted, it's impacted my social life and my relationships, but it hasn't impacted me financially, personally, because of the circumstances that I'm in. And, uh, and whereas there's a whole other group of people who are, uh, work in an industry that either, um, has been closed or, uh, or could severely cut back. And so there's this group of people that have had a major financial impact, uh, whether it's been less hours, whether it's been a two income household that's now just a one income household. Uh, people that have had to stay home because of uh, helping a, um, a loved one or a, or a friend in terms of uh, an illness or during this period as well. So there's a there really is this dichotomy between the people that how people have felt financially uh, through the pandemic. And so FT Canada put you can check their website uh, tale of two pandemics for all the details. But I'll just give you some of the highlights and. And what I think, and I'm just going to start it off with this, but as a CFP, for, for clients and for people who have a sound financial plan in place, when these unexpected things come along, they're already built in to your plan. You're already prepared when life deals you a major blow. And so I'm not trying to just, you know, tout our horn, but I am in the sense that um, your financial well-being is clearly going to be enhanced if you are working from and have a good solid plan in place versus no plan at all. And so when a sudden crisis comes along, uh, whether it's, you know, you have to make major lifestyle decisions that are going to have to be made and, uh, and that can be very intimidating and stressful. So if you're in a situation where, you know, you've lost, you have a two household income and you've lost one income, uh, now what do you do? Well, you're definitely going to have to think about major changes in terms of lifestyle decisions. Uh, and that's intimidating, it's intimidating and stressful. You might have to sell assets. Maybe a car has to be sold. Maybe you need to defer uh, some lifestyle decisions or repairs or upgrades. You might have to think about downsizing, um, reducing your mortgage payment and or, or reducing your rent, moving to some place that's cheaper. And, uh, and certainly just deferring discretionary expenses as well. So travel, consumer goods, that type of thing. And so the research was basically that 16% of men and women uh, over the last year have been forced to take off unpaid care time uh, for helping someone out. And 20% of women, 20% of women have been forced out of the labor force entirely. I'm going to say that again. 20% of women have been forced out of the labor force entirely. So, you know, what steps can you take if you've had a cut in pay and or this transition from one income to two incomes? And the first thing to do as a CFP is to revisit spending in your budget. And I know people hate budgeting, but, <laughs> you know, you've got to create a new budget. And uh, maybe you've got streaming services that you don't need. Uh, maybe it's that daily latte that has to come off the table. 
Um, you know, because you're not working, uh, or maybe work life has changed, you probably have less clothing expenses in terms of work. You might have reduced childcare. You might have reduced commuting expenses. You might have reduced, you know, meal and lunch expenses. And you may end up being in a, t- in a lower tax bracket as a family unit. So on the plus side, some of those things have come down. But this is all part of revisiting and redoing your budget as well. So that's number one. Number two is to reduce your debt. And we know, we've said it all the time, prioritize that high interest debt. Anything that you can pay down in that structure is going to help you. Uh, it may feel like you're just, you know, making small steps, but every step is, is an improvement. And um, one thing that you can do in terms of consolidating your loans to reduce your interest is consider putting everything with one institution. And I, just there's all kinds of reasons for this, but in the context what we're talking about here, but when you put all your stuff together with one company, you're able to negotiate lower rates, you're able to negotiate lower fees for the products and services that you're using. And plus, probably the biggest benefit is it simplifies your administration. You will feel way more organized. You will have a much clearer picture on your overall financial health and, uh, and wealth. By, uh, by having all of this information available to you in one place. Uh, and number three is, and Don, you'll like this, is embrace frugality. <laughs> we need to be frugal. We need to be more frugal. And, uh, you know, a classic one, I mean, we've just been cooking at home way more than ever. Now, I've noticed the price of food has gone up. But, uh, you know, so dining out, which is, which is a luxury for a lot of people, <laughs> you know, it, it, eating at home, learning to cook. Uh, learning to sew. We just we had uh, a friend whose dog chewed up a, uh, a tore open a toy the other day. They were just going to throw it out and get a new one. Well, there's you know twenty five dollar for a new dog toy. My wife said, No, no, it's okay. I'll just sew it up. It's fine. And sewed it back together, and the toy is just as good as before. So, but people, you know, frugality is something that is should always be top of mind. No point in wasting money. Uh, and particularly if you're on the side of a pandemic where you find yourself with less pay, a cut in pay or less income, everything that you do is going to contribute to your overall, less reducing your stress and make all of this less intimidating for everybody. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. 905-529-7165. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll return your call. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. Taking a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now. Leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. All right, uh, life insurance. Obviously, it's something that we need, but how much of it do we need? Yes, it's actually been an interesting, I guess, part of this whole pandemic. 30% of adults are more likely to buy life insurance over the next year than pre-pandemic. And so I guess just the whole idea of, unfortunately, people passing on because of, of the pandemic is making people think, what would, what would I do if it happened to me? And so, it, you know, we all aren't going to live forever. 
And so this is always should, should have been part of your financial plan. But just before I get into this, I did want to um, you know, address any of the listeners that piqued their interest as far as any cryptocurrencies. There is ways you can invest in them. So we don't offer them yet. Um, I think there actually there's one ETF, but there's some mutual fund companies and ETFs. So if you're to Google that, you can find them. If you can't Google, probably shouldn't own a cryptocurrency. <laughs> so I would I would say that's where the bar is at least. And and then of course to my to, back to what I was talking about, it is another form of gambling. It could do very well, but it could also you could lose it all. So it's extremely risky. But back on to life insurance. First step of any kind of life insurance, and if you were talking to anybody in terms of how much insurance you should get, step one is get the big financial picture. This is really part of a larger plan. And it's interesting. I have met people over the years, and I look at it, and they'll have like 10 different policies. And their insurance person, simply every time they'd see them, they'd end up with another policy, and they'd cancel this one to get a new one. And they're spending, in a lot of cases, over $1,000 a month in life insurance. And I'm thinking, okay, what was the purpose of this? Insurance should have a purpose. And, you know, why, why do you buy life insurance? Well, it's kind of interesting. They actually took a poll on this. And the number one purpose why people buy life insurance, 84% said for burial and funeral expenses. 84%. Now, the way I look at it, that should be actually the least reason, the least important reason why you would get life insurance. Because really, burial expenses aren't that big. You know, if, let's say you had ten to $25,000 kicking around. That's more, way more than enough to, to pay for burial and final expenses. Um, supplement your retirement income. So there's some that are looking, okay, this is an investment. So I'm going to invest in a permanent product. And then I'll be able to draw on this during retirement. That actually has some merit. And Andy's going to be talking about that in the next segment. Transfer wealth. This is a really good way of moving money from one generation to the next because when any life insurance is tax-free. So the recipient of life insurance, they do not have to pay tax on this. So it is a way to transfer money. And particularly if you have, say, have a cottage and you want to move the cottage from yourself to the kids, and you bought it for, let's say, 100000 and it's now worth a million dollars, the capital gain is huge. So this is a way to help pay and keep that in the family to pay for those taxes. Um, replace lost wages should be, in my opinion, the number one reason you get life insurance. It is 62% use that. And, you know, and I'll go through this, the data there, but it's incredible if if the main wage earner were to pass away, how long would you survive without that income? And this is why you need life insurance. Um, number five was to pay off your mortgage. Now, mortgage insurance is very common. In fact, a lot of places don't even allow you to buy, have a mortgage without have, being insured. So 50% put that as the reason they would get life insurance. Now, there's the mortgage insurance you get to a bank, which dec- decreases as you pay down the mortgage. Not the best insurance, because your premium stays the same, your amount that you're going to get will decrease as you're paying down the mortgage. The best kind of mortgage is getting pure term insurance. It actually costs a little less than mortgage insurance, and you have the same coverage all the way through. Um, Home expenses is is 48%. The seventh was estate taxes. 
And that can be a big one. And capital gains, and going back to that college example, 43% of people bought insurance for estate tax purposes. Paying for college. Now, this is an interesting one. I don't quite see how life insurance is a good way to save for a college um, education. I know my dad did this years ago. I, we finally got, I finally went to McMaster University, and there was like $1,500 in this life insurance policy. Even in 1981, that wasn't a lot of money. It would not have gone me a long ways in terms of my education. So I would not use that as an example. But it is one that people do use. Totally, totally disagree with that one. Business purposes, Andy's going to discuss this in the next segment, fantastic way of using insurance as a different asset class and passing it out of the company into the beneficiary without tax again. And a charitable gift, charitable giving. I know we discussed this uh, last week during our show, but life insurance is another way to, to have money go into you know, the donations or the charities that you would prefer them to see. And there's a couple ways to go about doing that, but 27% use that. But interesting, 44% of households would face a financial hardship in six months if the primary wage earner died. 44%. So obviously insurance plays a big role. Interesting enough, 28% said they wouldn't even last a month if the, if the main wage earner were to pass away. So insurance needs to be part of your plan. We always discuss this. And it should be a part of your overall plan and with your retirement planning, your cash flow, insurance, and, and all your other goals. So this is just part of the overall picture, but it's an important part. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. Taking a quick break here, we're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. All right, for the last segment, uh, why affluent Canadians buy permanent insurance? What does that mean? Yeah, and I think, that, Scott, when the popular wisdom around uh, life insurance is that when people accumulate wealth, their life insurance de- needs decrease, right? So the more you have, the less life insurance you need. And, uh, and what's interesting is how permanent life insurance is an excellent financial tool with uh, some unique tax benefits. We'll talk a little bit about that and why a lot of affluent families are finding it, it, it's of enorm- enormous value to use life insurance to protect and even enhance their wealth. And in fact, um, Don, I know we had a uh, presentation by, um, was it Andre Demery? It was, anyway, it was one of our, uh, the, the owners, the uh, owners of uh, Investors Group of IG Wealth Management and Power Corporation spoke to us recently, and he's one of the, um, you know, I, I would say the Demarays are probably one of the 10 richest families in Canada, and talked to us about how they, he has integrated uh, life insurance as a key tool in his own uh, wealth planning and estate, uh, estate maximization. So 
it's uh, it's something that people are doing. And and but the key thing I think is that people either buy life insurance initially for temporary income protection. So Don talked about all kinds of different scenarios where you want to be able to protect or replace your income in case somebody died. Uh, but the other is for long-term wealth preservation. And so, again, when you're young, you know, you're looking for money to replace your income. But, however, when you, as you approach retirement and your needs change from income replacement and the focus switches to wealth protection. So instead of income protection, it becomes wealth protection. And wealth protection is really a long-term concern, so it requires a permanent solution. And that's why permanent life insurance is a really tax-efficient tool that many Canadians are using uh, for one of three main things when it comes to um, wealth uh, wealth protection. So the first would be a state preservation, the second would be a state equalization, and the third would be a state maximization. So when it comes to a state preservation, um, you know, most Canadians, like all of us, we've built up significant wealth in uh, in assets like RSPs, we might have second properties, we might have a business, and all of those assets can trigger significant tax liabilities when they're transferred to the next generation. So where does the money come from to pay the tax bill? So do your beneficiaries have to liquidate some of your assets or borrow the money? Uh, or prior to death, what if you could save the additional funds required? And that's not likely either, right? Are you going to set aside enough money separately to pay the tax its own? Uh, but if you could fund the tax bill with insurance, uh, it is definitely the most efficient way, and it's the most. Uh, the solution is basically the money arrives tax-free when it's needed the most. And so, if you're concerned about a large tax bill when you pass away, and your beneficiaries may have to sell an asset, then you should consider the estate preservation strategy. So, basically, during your lifetime with a life insurance policy, there's no tax on any of the growth while that policy is uh, retained and while the capital is retained inside the policy. And then at death, the policy is paid out tax-free. And so if you had an estate of, you know, $5 million, and a, and a million of that was going to be going to estate taxes and costs, then if you had a million-dollar policy, you could use that immediately to be able to pay that tax owing. And that way you're not forced to sell an asset. You don't need to sell a cottage. You don't need to sell a, a property, which often takes time and you need to negotiate a price. You can't sell a business immediately. So having that money there immediately is fantastic. Uh, with private corporations, you've got to be careful. So let's say you've built up your business and you've got a holding company and you've built assets inside that holding company. That You've got to be careful because an estate situation could could end up triggering double taxation to the family. So you need proper tax planning when it comes to owning that corporation. But um, with life insurance, uh, you have that potential for tax for growth throughout life and then accessible cash when it comes out at the end. And it can be a fixed amount uh, or, you know, like you need a million dollars of coverage. Or you can have a million dollars of coverage, but with growth, happening within the policy so it's actually you know 1.1 million 1.5 million 1.2 million and it grows in time the second one which is a state equalization often you know it's simple if you just have cash and you can divide it say three ways between your children but a lot of times we have assets which are unique and they maybe makes more sense that they go to one beneficiary Maybe it's that one child who was involved in your business or involved in your farm operation or involved in the cottage war, and that asset seems to make sense. Or maybe you have a blended family 
where uh, you, if you were to die, you want to make sure that your new partner is looked after, and but the family members from your previous family, uh, your existing children are looked after. So estate equalization is key, and basically it ends up giving you that tax-free money at death to be able to sprinkle it around to make sure everyone's treated equal. And the final is estate maximization. And within a corporation, if you earn, if you build up cash in your corporation and it earns interest or it's conservative investments, you're going to pay a very high rate of tax. If you put that same cash, you have these pre-tax, these low tax rate dollars and use them to buy insurance. It's a great alternative because it's a low risk alternative. It's a low volatility alternative. So it's a great asset class relative to bonds and GICs, for example. And um, so if you have assets in your private corporation, the life insurance is fantastic because at death, it flows to your CDA account, which is called the capital dividend account. And the key thing from that is that it can then flow tax-free out of the corporation to your beneficiaries at death. So there's some great strategies around insurance. Again, talk to your CFP professional about why affluent people are using life insurance. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Another great show. Have a great week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.